0: Once there was a man and a woman and they were going on a romantic walk down the, uh, down the street in a one sunny evening. Suddenly the woman, uh, the woman said uh, to him that I'm hungry. So man being very concerned, he said, okay, let's do one thing. There's a KFC nearby. Let's go and get a Zinger burger. Okay. So they go into the KFC and man orders a Zinger burger. Okay. And they received the parcel and they said, and he said that let's go into a garden or a park. We'll sit quietly. Uh, we'll look into the nature and then we'll enjoy this burger. So they go find themselves a park. They find themselves a bench and they sit down. And this man opens the box in which the burger is supposed to be kept. And he opens the box and suddenly he realizes there's thousands and thousands of rupees that's kept inside the box instead of the burger. Now he's contemplating whether to keep the money or to be honest and go back and give back the money to the shopkeeper. He discusses with this, uh, this thing with the women and uh, they both decide, you know what the right thing would be to do is, you know, let's go back and give back the money. So they both decide they get up and they walk and they're feeling happy about themselves because they're doing the right thing of returning a huge amount of money back to the shopkeeper. As soon as they open the shop, they see a lot of chaos inside the shop. Because the owner who kept the money inside one of the boxes uh, you know, and, he, and, he's, and he's angry at, at the person at the counter. How can you give away? Didn't you check? And there's a lot of chaos, a lot of shouting going on. And suddenly this uh, couple moves into the shop and says, you know what? Uh, we got this box. It has a lot of money and it doesn't belong to us. And the shopkeeper is so impressed by these two. He's like, I need to call the local newspaper guy. I need to call the local news channel guy. And I want them to interview you because the world needs to know. The city needs to know that there are people, honest people like you. Now, this man and woman, like, Vanda, you know, let it be. Don't, don't call anyone. No, no, no. I insist. The world needs to know. No, no. Please. You know, it's okay. So the man even got impressed because they are honest on top of that. They're humble as well. So now the pakka will call, you know, the world needs to know. Finally, this man and woman, the man gets very angry. He takes the shopkeeper to the side. He said, don't call any reporter, any news channel guy. I don't want this to go out. So the owner of the shop asks him why? He says, if this goes on the newspaper, if this news comes out in the news channel, my wife will know that I'm roaming around with someone else. Man is corrupt. No matter what good things that you're doing, deep down inside, you'll always remain in sin. And this Sunday morning, I want to leave you with one question uh, for all of us to ponder. Uh, The passage that we read was Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. In fact, the Bible always constantly talk about the Father, the Lord, seeking true worshippers. In John chapter 4, Jesus himself tells that, you know what? My Father is seeking true worshippers. Jesus redeemed us so that we might give him all the glory. That we might offer our life as living sacrifice to God. Peter, in writing 1 Peter chapter 2 he writes, uh, he makes a very profound statement. He says, you are a living stone, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to, acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. But today we have a problem. Many of us don't understand what is uh, spiritual living and what is a spiritual sacrifice. There are many theories that runs around, you know, how to have victory in your Christian life. Many suggest in order to have victory in your Christian life, on one hand, you need more of God. And some suggest on the other hand, you need to know your value. You need to know your worth. But the scripture says it's not a matter of affirming your value. It's not a matter of seeking something more. It's a matter of being joyous in the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ and offering yourself as a living sacrifice. My question to you then this morning is, what is a spiritual act of worship? What is a spiritual act of worship? And in Romans 12, Paul addressing to the church of uh, Romans, and he's writing in verse one and two, and he's giving the greatest motivation for godly worship. And he's saying that it is the gladness and gratitude in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, if you are glad and you have gratitude of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you will be able to offer godly worship. The transformation in our life is a result of celebration of what God has done in us through his son, Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other better thing that we can think of. The transformation that we see as born again believers is only because of the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ is because of what God has done on the cross. And chapter 12 of Romans is what Paul is doing is he's actually building a bridge between the 11 chapters he has written before and the chapters that he has written later on, this chapter 12 serves as a bridge between both. He's moving from orthodoxy to orthopraxis, just to uh, put it in a simpler way. In first 11 chapters, he's talking a lot about the doctrines. He's teaching the church about the doctrines. And here from 12 onwards, he's telling them how to put it into practice. And this chapter 12 is basically a bridge between both from orthodoxy to orthopraxis, from learning the doctrine, now putting it into practice. So with that in mind, let's read verse 1 and 2 again of Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul, in these first two uh, verses of chapter 12, he's talking about what should be the attitude of a justified believer in front of God when he's offering worship. What should be the attitude of a justified believer in front of God when he's offering his worship? And we look at four things that Paul mentions here. First thing that Paul mentions in verse one, the first part of the verse, he says, look backwards to the spiritual truths so that it can launch you forward in your spiritual journey. You're getting it? Look backwards to the spiritual truth so that it can launch you forward in your spiritual journey. Look at verse one. Therefore, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. He starts off with a a word called therefore. Whenever we encounter this word therefore, we need to look backwards because there's something important that's been told before. And therefore, you have to do something, right? And you need to look backwards to the spiritual truth that Paul has already mentioned prior in 11 chapters that now it is intended for us to look at those and now launch forward into our spiritual journey. He says, therefore, in view of God, mercy. See, when we read of God mercy, we are often tempted to read, it, uh, read a certain attribute of God. Uh, what are the different attributes of God? God is faithful, God is powerful, God is gracious, God is love, and God is mercy. Mercy is an attribute of God. But that is not what Paul is intending here. Paul is not talking about a singular attribute of God when he is talking uh, about mercy here. You know, it's better to translate the word mercy as mercies. You know, in NIV, in my Bible, it says mercy. But in ESV, NASV, if I'm not on NET also, and some other version, it translates as mercies of God. I think that's a good translation. If you have an ESV, you can circle that word and put mercies. It's a plural it's a tense that we need to use. Paul is not talking about a singular attribute of God. What he's doing is he's looking back at the 11 chapters. That he has already written, and he's unpacking the manifold mercies of God that he has already given to the uh, church of Romans. What he's telling the readers is when you read chapter 12, take a stop and look back to all the mercies that he has already mentioned. What Paul tells the Roman church is I want you to see God's patient mercy that he didn't execute his wrath when you were sinners in chapter 9. uh, Paul is saying I want you to see God's kind mercy that God would even send his son into this world chapter 2 of Romans Paul says I want you to see God's generous mercy that he would even send his son to the cross to die for you and me chapter 3 Paul is saying I want you to see God's powerful mercy that he was able to impart new life into all of us once we believed in him in faith Chapter five, I want want you to see God's faithful mercy that he's able to maintain all his promises throughout all generations to his people. Chapter eight, I want you to see all these mercies of God. Romans chapter 12, verse one is like a summit. You stand on the summit, you go on top of the mountain and then you do a survey. You do a survey of all the landscape, all the valleys. Basically, you do a survey of all the mercies of God, all the things that God has done for you. And in view of God's mercies, he goes on to say, launch yourself forward into the spiritual living. Second thing that Paul mentions here is, offer yourself as living sacrifice to God in response to the mercy that you have already received. Offer yourself as living sacrifice to God. It has to be in response to the mercy that you have already received. Let's read verse 1 further. Therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercies, he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This morning, I want to ask you, my dear brothers and sisters in CBF, what has been your response to the various mercies of God that you have experienced in your life? I think Psalmist puts it best in Psalms 116 verse 12. He says, what shall I render to the Lord for all the benefits towards us? When I count up all the benefits, the mercies of God that are given to me, what shall I render to the Lord? I think that's the question even Paul is asking. What has been the response of all the mercies that we have received till now? And Paul is saying the answer. Paul is saying, in view of all those mercies, he says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifice to God. Let me translate in the simple words. In view of God's gracious sacrifice to you, offer yourself as glad sacrifice to God. You're getting it? In simple words, in view of God's gracious sacrifice for you, now offer yourself as glad sacrifice back to him. You know, it's interesting perspective from the Old Testament. We read about offering. This morning, Kevin took us in Leviticus, right? We read about offering. People used to offer sacrifices to God and they will come uh, and do it in order to receive mercy from God. And what they will do, they will come to the temple. They will take their offering, uh, the animal, they will bring it. They will give it to the priest. Priest will go inside. He will offer the sacrifice. And they do all this so that they can become good with God and they can receive God's mercy. But Paul in the New Testament, he says on the other side of the cross, you know, things are different. It's completely different. We do not offer sacrifice to receive God's mercy. Rather, we offer ourselves as sacrifice to God in response to God's mercy. We don't offer now sacrifice to receive God's mercy. But it is completely in response to God's mercy. Now we are offering our life as living sacrifice. You know, Paul mentions a of, couple of things in verse 1. He, number one, he says, we should offer our bodies as living sacrifice. So when Paul mentioned bodies, he is not just restricting is to our physical bodies, not just to the flesh and bones. But here, Paul means the totality of your entire being. Every aspect of your life, he says, that's what you're going to sacrifice. And he said, present it, offer it. It's, it's, it's a Greek word called peristemai, which, which is a temple term, which is a Levitical term. It means to put it on the altar. So what he's saying is, every aspect of your life, the totality of your whole being, now present it to the altar. Bring it to the altar. And that's what you're going to sacrifice. Now we are not call to offer dead animals. That system is gone because when Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled the law. And the temple, the, the, the curtain on the temple was torn in two pieces and, that, and we no longer have to offer dead sacrifices. But there's a new kind of sacrifice that we need to offer. A living sacrifice. In the New Covenant, in the New Testament economy, it's a living sacrifice that we need to bring to the Lord. And what is this living sacrifice? Is it a living animal? No. It's you it's me. We need to bring ourselves to the altar. And when we do this, this is our spiritual act of worship. So what Paul is saying is every aspect. So all your ambitions, you bring to the altar and put, you put it in front of God. You bring your wealth and you put it in front of God. You bring your children and put them into the altar. You bring your marriage, you put it on the altar. You bring your career, you put it on the altar. You bring your talent, your hobbies, and then you put it on the altar. You bring your health, you put it on the altar. You bring your home, every relationship, and you bring it and you put it on the altar. The totality of who you are, bring everything and put it on the altar. That is spiritual act of worship. Can you imagine doing that? Can you imagine doing that? Paul is saying every aspect. You cannot leave out even the tiniest aspect of your life. Paul is saying every aspect, the totality, you need to bring in. You know, in Gospel of John, he says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If we are chasing the world, if we are loving the patterns of the world, the Bible says the love of the Father is not with you. That's the warning that's given in the Bible very clearly. He's saying, bring every aspect. Don't run behind the world. Don't leave things behind. Don't think that you don't want God to be involved in one one specific aspect of your life. No. Paul is saying, bring all of it. Everything. Put it on the altar. And sacrifice to the Lord. That's your act of worship. This morning, I just wanted to uh, bring out two important aspects of this spiritual uh, sacrifice as living body that we are talking about, you know, the living sacrifice, number one has to be vital in nature. And secondly, it has to be perpetual in nature. Now, Let let me explain. Living sacrifice has to be vital in nature. So when you come to God, you're bringing something that is vital, very important, very significant in your life. You're not giving him leftover stuff in your life. You're getting it. You do this. Uh, You know, we all do this. You know, I'm guilty of this. You know, many of us, we, we take our own time and we spend our time in the way we want and the leftover is on a Sunday. You know what? I'll give you two hours of my life. That's all I have for you. We spend our money in the way we want. We'll buy all the expensive things, everything that we want. And the leftover, Lord, I'll throw you a tip on a Sunday. You will do, and uh, you will do your career the way you want. You will you will make your portfolio the way you want, and then one fine day you will decide. You know what? I'll wait for my retirement to get involved in spiritual activities. God doesn't want leftovers uh, of your life. God wants vital things. The living sacrifice has to be vital. It has to be significant. It has to be important. It, it has to mean something for you. You need to bring the living sacrifice that is vital. Second thing he says that living sacrifice has to be perpetual. It has to be continuous in nature. See, most of the people understand the uh, of offering of sacrifice is a so one-time event. You know, once you sacrifice an animal, you cannot again bring back the dead animal and sacrifice again, right? But for a Christian, to offer their bodies as living sacrifice means they have to do it day in and day out. Every moment, it's a continuous process. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, it's a very hard thing. It's a very hard thing to do. You know why? What is the problem with offering a living sacrifice and putting it on the altar? It will always try to crawl out of the altar. You, put, uh, you tie up an animal and put it on the altar, it will try its level best to come out of its chains and run away. Imagine you putting yourself, you are living and you are on the altar. Your nature is such, you will want to crawl out. Paul is saying it's a continuous process. It's a day in day out process. Every time you crawl out, you bring yourself back, put it on the altar. Every aspect, you bring it back and put it on the altar. And you do this all in the response of the mercies of God that you have experienced in your life. Isn't it significant, my dear brothers and sisters? It has to be perpetual. Our living sacrifice has to be perpetual, continuous. And it's a hard thing. Let me tell you, it's a hard thing. We all are uh, fallen in nature. We all have, in flesh, we will will run behind uh, guilty pleasures. But it's important. What Paul is saying, you know what? Pick yourself up. Put yourself back in the altar. Again, again, and again, day in, day out. And you do this all in the response of the mercies of God that you have experienced in your life. Third thing what Paul mentioned is, we need to offer uh, worship that honors God by giving him what he truly deserves by giving him what he truly deserves. Uh, Verse 1, the second part he says, you offer your bodies as living sacrifices, uh, holy and pleasing to God, and this is your spiritual act of worship. And this is your spiritual act of worship. Paul is thinking about the action of worshipping, the wholehearted concentration of heart, mind, will, soul, deeds, every aspect of who you are and what you are doing and what you have, you bring it all and nothing less you know you go all out and you bring it and that's your spiritual act of worship you know for most of us when we think of worship we think of it as as an event don't we whenever we think of worship we have always been grown up in an environment we think of it of as an event on a Sunday morning, that's, that's our worship. Yes, it is, but it's more than an event. Bible tells us that when we talk about worship, it's also your whole way of living, of giving every dimensions of your life and putting it on the altar every day. And that is worship. You know, you coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, you can have it. I surrender everything. That is worship. I'm reminded of two examples. One, of the, one, one example is from Genesis chapter 22. It, it, it's, it's one of the most common uh, passages that you would have read. It's, it's a passage about Abraham and uh, Isaac. You know, God tells Abraham, you know what? I want you to sacrifice your son, whom you love the most. I want you to take him to a place where I will tell you and you need to offer him as a sacrifice. What does uh, Abraham does? You know, he gets up early morning next day He saddles up the donkey. He takes a few servants with him. And he travels three days into the place where God was telling him. And suddenly God tells him, you know what, stop. This is the place. What does Abraham do? He and his boy dismantle themselves from the donkey and they get down. And and Abraham tells a very significant, profound statement to the servants. He says, wait here. I and my boy will go up and worship. And then we'll come back. You know, a few times when I read, I always miss this word, worship. When we read the story, and when I was reading the story, I thought, hey, you are a liar. You're not going to worship. You're going to kill your own son. That's not worship. But Abraham understood what he was doing. Abraham was commanded by God, the thing that he loved the most, the person that he loved the most, the son that he waited almost 100 years of his life, God told him to sacrifice. Abraham knew what he was going to do up the hill on the altar. He was going to sacrifice his son. And that was his worship to God. Worship is gladly sacrificing every dimension of your life to God because of what God has graciously sacrificed himself for us. You know, God graciously sacrificed himself for you and me. This morning, we were reminded of the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We were reminded of what he did for you and me. In view of that, offer yourself as sacrifice. As Abraham, remember, uh, as Abraham was completely aware of what he was going to do, he had no doubt. He was ready to kill his son. Many theories say that you know, he, was, he, he never wanted to kill his son. He knew that God would save him. No. If you read the scripture, actually, it comes out he was determined. And it was at the last time God stopped him. He knew what worship is. Second uh, example I want to take is from 2 Samuel chapter 24. Uh, we know the background of the story and David had sinned and, uh, against the Lord and the great plague broke out among the people. 2 Samuel chapter 24. Uh, David was so grieved of his sin that he wanted to repent and offer sacrifice and worship the Lord on behalf of all the people so that the plague would stop. So what does he do? He goes to this place uh, which was owned by a Jebusite, Arona, and uh, David goes to his land and he wanted to offer sacrifice. Then this Jebusite comes to know, you know what, the king of Israel is here on his land. And he comes running and he asks David, king, what are you doing? He said, I want to offer sacrifice to my God. And he says, You know what? No problem. You are the king. You are the prime minister. You can have everything. You want land? Take. Oh, you want to build an altar? Take this woods. Build an altar. You know what? You want to offer sacrifice? Take this. This is a nice, nice bull. You take this one also. I give it all to you. But my focus today is not on the Jebusite, the Arunah, but my focus is on the response of David. Can you turn with me to Second Samuel chapter 24 verse 24 and 25? Can someone read it loud for me? Second Samuel 24, verse 24 and 25. So David says you know what I will not offer an offering to my Lord that cost me nothing that's a very profound statement by David he was the king of Israel the Jebusite was willing to give everything but David realized you know what I am here to repent. I am here to offer my worship to my king, my Yahweh, my God, and I will not offer him a sacrifice that cost me nothing. And when he did that, the the verse says in verse 25, the Lord was moved by the prayer for the land. And the plague stopped. The Lord was moved by the heart of David. You know, When I read this verse, it really shook me hard. David says that I will not offer a sacrifice that costs me nothing. I will not offer a cheap sacrifice to God. Dear CBF, if we are going to worship our Lord with all our life, then it's going to probably cost us something. It's going to probably cost us something. There's a cost involved. Good question to ponder. What has true, genuine worship of yours costed you recently? I urge everyone to ponder on this question because it is a true indicator with which we can tell about our worship to our God. Has it costed us something recently? What are we offering? Are we offering leftovers? Or does it mean we are offering something vital, significant? Something that cost us? we are bringing to the altar and offering it to our God. The last thing Paul says is, the attitude of worship requires a counter-cultural way of thinking. The attitude of worship of a true believer requires a counter cultural way of thinking. Let's read verse two. It says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, a normal person cannot think counter-cultural way. You know, he will always think the worldly way. You know, it's very difficult for them to think uh, differently from the, the way the world, uh, you know, shows them. You know, and the way of the world, it has a pattern. It has a paradigm uh, to it. If you look into the world, it is selfish. There's a lot of self-ego involved. It is uh, self-preserving. It is greedy. It is stingy. Uh, there's a lot of lust. You can think of all the negative aspects. That's that's the pattern of the world. And if we are not careful, then we can easily fall into these patterns of the world. You know, I love how J.B. Phillips uh, translate this verse he says don't let the world squeeze you into your more into its mold don't let the world squeeze you squeeze you into its mold you know there's a mold there's a pattern that the world has and if we are not careful very easily we can be molded into the same pattern paul is giving us a warning he's saying be careful and he's telling some things to be shunned, and he's telling something to be done in order to reach this goal in this verse. First thing he says is the main reason why Paul wants against oneself to be fashioned after the patterns of this world is because God's God wants us to do everything for his glory. I'm reminding of I'm reminded of what Paul tells the the church in Corinth, in first Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, and he says, he says, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. You know, that's the main purpose that Paul wants everyone to be reminded. You know, you can follow the world, but that's not the way that Bible tells us to do. Bible tells us, it reminds us that whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. And second thing why Paul urges The people not to follow the fashions of the world, not to be conformed to the world is because this age of the world is going to end in bitter disappointment. The world is going to end. The patterns of the world is going to end. When the Lord comes in his full glory, this world will fade away. The patterns of this world will fade away. There will be a great judgment on all who follows those. But... In 1 John two seventeen, we read that the world and its desires are passing away, but the person who does the will of the Lord will live. The person who does the will of the Lord will live. Secondly, he says, what are the things that should be done by us? He says, let yourself be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Interesting choice of word. He doesn't use the word fashioned, but he says transformed. He doesn't use the word fashioned into uh But he says transformed. You know, Paul is not saying substitute one outward fashion for another. Paul is not saying that. Instead, Paul is saying we need a transformation. We need an inner change. We need the change of our character itself. We need a change of heart. Our entire inner being has to be changed. Complete transformation. It's not just one replacing one thing with another. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying complete transformation. Our character has to change our inner being has to change. Interestingly, when you read verse 2, it's written in a present tense. That means it has to be continuous. Our transformation is continuous. Our sanctification is continuous. It's a continuous process that he's talking about. That's why he writes that in the present tense. You know, in Greek, when you, uh, you, know, when you study Greek and when you read this verse, uh, all the time my professor used to say, uh, always look in the tense voice and mood of a sentence you know that's in English grammar right you look at the tense voice and mood to find out what exactly the author might have intended so it's written in the present tense whereas it means it has to be in a continuous, uh, continuous process our transformation is a continuous process we are sanctified into the image of God and that's a continuous process and secondly it's written in a passive voice that means Paul is not saying transform yourself rather he's saying let yourself be transformed You know, he's clearly saying, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You as believers have Holy Spirit in your life, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit that is transforming you. You are not doing anything. It's not your work that you're putting, it's not your effort that you're putting in. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. But interestingly, the mood of this passage is in the imperative mood. That is, he's reminding believers, you're not completely passive. Your duties are not completely cancelled. They must allow the Spirit to work within their hearts and life. They have to cooperate with the Spirit as well. You know, in Paul uh, writes, when he writes to Philippians in chapter 2 verse 12, he writes, work out your salvation for it is the God who is at work in you. He reminds people in Philippi, work out your salvation for, and then he says, you know what, it's not you, but it is the God who is at work in you. Finally, Paul says, after all describing all this, the glorious result of this transformation is you will be able to discern the will of the Lord. But this is very significant for us, and I want all of us to pay attention. You know, it shows that in order to discern the will of the Lord, believers cannot depend on their own conscience. You're getting it? In order to discern the will of the Lord, believers cannot depend on their own conscience. Conscience is very important. Let's, let's not, I will not uh, degrade that. Conscience is very important, but it has to be constantly sent back to the word of God, where you can understand what the word has to tell you to receive the instruction from the Holy Spirit, to understand what God has in store for you, to understand the will of the Lord in your life. You need to send your conscience constantly to the word of God. If you take the word of God away from you, then you are conform to the world. This is the only thing that we have. The Bible this is the only thing that we have where we can go and find out the truths of God and we can know the will of the Lord in our lives. So think, reason, aspire, not like the world, but think, reason and aspire like Lord Jesus Christ. This is the countercultural way of thinking. This morning, we, we just looked at two verses, but I think these are two significant verses as we enter the new year. Let us not be conformed into the image and the mold and the patterns of the world, but let us all offer our lives as a living sacrifice to God. Let this 2021 be a year wherein we all contemplate what are the vital things in our life? What are the things that are significant and put it all on the altar? It's a living sacrifice. So it will try to crawl away, but it's a continuous process. It's a perpetual process. You need to bring it back on the altar day in, day out. My prayer for you this morning is that we may enjoy and delight in the word of the Lord. You know, in Jeremiah 15 verse 16, when God tells Jeremiah to do certain things, he commands him to do certain things. Jeremiah says, your words came and I ate them and they were my joy and delight of my heart. When Jeremiah says, I received your words, when I received your truths, when I received what you had for me, I ate them, I devoured them. And you know what? Your words, Yahweh, your words, God, became my nourishment. Your words became a delight and joy of my heart. And that's my prayer for all of you. May all of us in this new year spend more time in the word of God, understanding what is his will in your life, being able to put every aspect of your life on the altar, and delight and be rejoicing in the word of god as jeremiah was rejoicing let us all be like the infant babies what first uh, in peter mentions is first peter chapter 2 verse 1 to 3 therefore putting aside all malice all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies longing for pure milk of the word so that you may grow in every respect of your salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the lord let us be like newborn babies in this coming new year who is longing for the milk of the word, the word of God. That should be our desire. That should be our only source of nourishment, our only source of growth. We spend more time with the Lord and we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. May his name be glorified. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for this time that you have given us. Thank you, Lord, for your sustenance over the last one year. Lord, we have seen a lot of things that happen. A lot of our close family, friends, relatives might have left this world, but Lord, you have sustained us. Lord, as believers, we have this hope in you, Lord. Even though our life ends, Lord, we know that one day when you come, we'll be rejoicing with you in the heaven. And it has only been possible of what you have done for us on the cross. This morning, we were reminded of your sacrifice, your unconditional sacrifice on the cross. Lord, you gave yourself up for us. And what can we render to you? Then just say, thank you, Lord. Lord, this morning from the scripture, we learned that your desire for us is to offer ourselves as living sacrifice. And that's a true act of worship. Lord, we pray that this new year, CBF, as a family, individual, all individuals, Lord, we may offer ourselves as living sacrifice. Every aspect, every dimension of our life, Lord, we may bring it to the altar and we may say, Lord, it's yours. Take it, use it the way you want. Lord, we want to be useful for you in this coming year. We don't know how long you have uh, allowed each one of us to live here. Scripture says, as for man, his days are like grass. As the flower of the field his flourishes, the wind passes over it and it the land knows it no more. Lord, we don't know when we will die, but we know that what is your commandment. As long as we live, Lord, we want to live for your glory. Because if we die, Lord, we know that we will be with you in paradise. We'll be rejoicing with you. Lord, let us be like Paul when he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Lord, let allow us, the CBF family, to say the same prayer to take the same vow this coming new year. For us to live is Christ and to die is gain. Lord, we may live for the gospel. We may rejoice in the gospel and we may praise you, offer you our worship. In Jesus Christ's precious name I pray.